I want to begin by setting a picture for you. Um, kind of goes like this, since we're a little post-holiday. I want you to um, imagine, you know, a family gathering. In my scenario, you can picture however you want. Is there's going to be about nine people at our gathering, and the way we typically do it is the host will, you know, kind of, kind of provide the the main ingredients, you know, the turkey and the ham, and then others bring, you know, side dishes, things to help. And and in in this little story I'm telling, imagine that's that somehow the communication about the dessert has has gotten gotten confused and you can sense already the tragedy that that would be I mean if you know if we didn't have potatoes it wouldn't be the end of the world but dessert oh that's bad but what happened in this scenario is that the the dessert person brought a a a, a pumpkin pecan caramel cream cheese pie and was cut into six slices. Now, there was also a, a gluten-free, vegan, dairy, sugar-free pumpkin pie for those people who wanted that. Lynn, God bless you. She's raising her hand at the wrong time for this story to work. But, but I want to tell you what happens for me you see, I, I, I begin to do the math. I know that there's one person who will eat the gluten-free whatever pie. I, I, the person who brought it will eat that slice. So that's one I don't have to worry about. But I don't know who the other two might be. Remember, how many slices is the good pie? Six. And, and I, you know, I try to do the math. I'm looking around. There's Cousin Brenda. She's kind of pale and skinny, possibly. There's hope, but... And somehow, and this is not because I'm humble, but somehow I get, I'm kind of at the end of the dessert line. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't, wasn't strategic enough. And, and I'm, I'm watching who takes what, and I see the, the pie getting smaller and smaller. That feeling is what we call scarcity that there won't be enough. And the feeling of scarcity permeates far beyond the idea of how much pie I'm going to get. I just want to, all I want is for you to capture that feeling. Scarcity maybe could be defined in this way. I won't be enough, and there won't be enough for me. So today, this morning, as we begin this new year, I want to talk about what I think is perhaps the antidote to the idea of scarcity. I'm going to read a small verse. We're going to be looking today um, at, at lots of little tidbits here and there, I guess. Um, but, but the verse that's going to um, sort of anchor us is found in Thessalonians. It's embarrassing when a seminary student has forgotten where that is. But anyhow, that's okay. Uh, I guess I'll begin in uh, verse 16, but then we'll concentrate on verse 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, 
And give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk today about gratitude. I've, I've shared, I'm, I'm not going to go into any details, I know it's been a little ad nauseum, but the last two years of my life have perhaps been the more challenging I've experienced. In the last year, I've, I have felt, I've just <laughs> felt so much resentment and fear and depression and the feeling that I'm not enough and I'm not going to find my place in the life. That is the expression the manifestation of scarcity. And I'm, I was sharing with the group, the, the staff on Wednesday, that in some ways I feel so embarrassed that I can't remember in the last couple of years expressing gratitude. And because I believe God always wants to offer us a way out, he longs for us to be free. As I came to that realization, I began to ponder a little bit. What comes from gratitude? So we're going to talk about those, the, sort of the fruit of gratitude. One fruit and one outcome is humility. I want to be clear here because sometimes that word can sound almost like a curse, like, like an obligation. But I believe it's the opposite. I believe it is God's way out of the tyranny of my ego. I love how Brene Brown um, titles or, or names ego. She calls it the hustler. You, you're not seen, your ego will say to you, so you need more Facebook likes. Or have you noticed how many Facebook likes they got? And that was a dumb thing they posted, and you've posted such good things, and nobody, has, nobody liked your good post. You need to try harder. Look at who didn't want to be your friend. And have you noticed how, have you noticed how easy life is for those people, or how much more money they have, or how much happier they seem to be? And only you can fix this. This is all what your ego will constantly tell you. You better get busy. You need to try harder. Later on, I'm going to describe that as a righteousness. You are not righteous. You're not good. It's kind of sad in some ways. I think sometimes I've seen even entire Christian conferences based on this idea of how you can be righteous if you would only try harder. Humility. This way out of the tyranny of my ego. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer but when was the last time you asked for help? And even thinking about the idea or the time leading up to sort of feeling like I have to ask for help, what, what did you feel? What emotions were you experiencing as you anticipated 
asking for help. Both my insides and my outside story scream. They scream, no! Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Don't ask for help. Because then they'll all know that you're weak. That you're not enough. What Brene Brown calls, you will be vulnerable. Perhaps one cause of depression is the overwhelming feeling that I can't fix this, but I have to keep trying. Sounds like the law to me. I can't fix this, but I'm going to keep trying. For those of you who are kind of, you know, Bible nerds, I, I, I want to I, I look at this just for a second, this really popular, probably familiar, maybe it would be a better way to say it, passage that talks about gratitude when life is hard. It's found in James. You're probably familiar with these words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials, when, when life is hard. Consider it joy. And, and then the author, James, he, he goes and he lists why. The things it'll produce, this idea of endurance, that your faith can actually become stronger, like the person who thinks to themselves, I could, I could never run a mile. So they, they begin by just walking. And then, and then they find themselves walking longer and farther. And then one day they decide to try. And somehow they make it to a mile. They never thought they could run a mile. And then after they've run a mile for a while, they, they, they had never dreamed that they could run five miles. You get the idea but they can run five miles because one day they were walking. That's what he sort of discusses. That's what he describes as the process and why we should be grateful when times are hard. But later on, he, there's this, this part that I've, quite honestly, I've, I've never quite understood. And that is that when, when life is hard, one of, the, one of the things you can do, one of the humble things you can do, is you can ask God for help. But he says this, when you ask, don't be double-minded. Those of you that are sort of familiar with the Bible, have you ever come across that phrase and sort of wondered, like, exactly what does that mean? Now, I'm not saying I know exactly what it means, but it's so interesting. I had this epiphany of what I, maybe it might mean for me because I've been having this experience, I noticed. It is while I am simultaneously asking God to help me. Like with my lips, I'm saying, God, help me. But in my mind, I'm thinking of all the things I need to do to fix it. Like my to-do list is growing as I ask God to rescue me. I think maybe that's the idea of double-minded. That's one of the benefits or fruits of humility. Brendan Manning says this, you cannot be simultaneously resentful and grateful. What's another fruit, another positive 
outcome. And that would be, perhaps, and this is going to sound weird, perhaps a more positive or accurate self-image. You see, your ego, what I sort of imagine, is that your ego is sort of like if you've ever watched any kind of sporting event on TV. And and in any sporting event on TV, there is the play-by-play announcer who is saying what you're seeing. They're they're describing it, and and they're they're saying sort of out loud what your eyes are seeing. So your eyes and your ears can sort of combine to get the fuller experience. So your ego is the play-by-play announcer of your life. And almost at any time, it's narrating what's happening. So for me, it is, you know, this announcement, hey, here comes Carl, Carl's walking into the party, and yes, once again, nobody notices, as is always what happens, because as we all know, Carl's not quite enough, Carl can't get attention, Carl, oh my goodness, folks, this could be disastrous, Carl is walking by the mirror, oh my gosh, look at that body, that is not what other bodies look like, that's not what a body should look like, that is not what God intended, oh my goodness. Oh, my stars. Oh, here comes Carl. He's trying to make a friend. No, it doesn't work. There's a fumble right there. Your your narrator, if you listen, is never going to say, good job. Nice, nice play. Your narrator is never going to say, relax. It's going to be okay. God will take care of you. Never. Never. I want you to, just this silly little exercise, just imagine just for a moment that, 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 that we're going we're gonna to do the, the good list and the bad list. And if I were to ask you, okay, here, I want you to make a good list and a bad list, and I want you to describe your body what's good and what's bad. Most people, statistically, the bad would far outweigh the good. If I were to ask for you to to categorize your good, what, what your abilities are, compared to all the people you know, how do you rank yourself in ability? Good or bad. Now, by the way, I'm not suggesting this is in any way a healthy practice. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that gratitude is the ability to appreciate the gifts. See, gratitude is rooted in the idea of something you cannot give yourself. It's weird, but you can't be grateful for what you earned. You're you're not grateful for what you got. You're grateful for what has been given to you. This is a, a, maybe a simplistic way, but I, I, I sort of vision it this way, that, that my ego and my sort of the, the natural default of my life is to look at what is missing and what I don't have. How my, my body or my friendships or whatever it may be, my circumstances, this is not enough. And, and I, I can so easily categorize and list and keep tabs on what I'm not. But gratitude is found when I say thank you for what I do have. 
I can notice all the people who are not a part of my life. But while I'm doing that, quite frankly, I can't appreciate the people that are. I can, I can, I can obsess on where my body is not what I would want it to be and forget that I have the gift of life. I can see pretty good. I can hear. I can, I, 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 I'm able to walk. There, you know, there's... I have been given so much. And gratitude is simply acknowledging that gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gratitude is the way out of the tyranny of sort of hating yourself. I want to read this Old Testament verse for you. It's found in Isaiah 45. I think it's a pretty poetic way. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Those who are nothing but potsherds, who are broken pieces of clay among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? What are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? In other words, does the clay say to the artist, do we say to God, man, you are crap at building humans. You don't know what you're doing at all because look at what I don't have. But the artist God, when we live in gratitude, we say, oh my gosh, look at what you've done. I, I will share one thing. I despise often when people are trying to be, um, they, they, like at funerals, I, I, I've heard this, oh, and she was such a beautiful woman. There is no human who is not beautiful. There's no such thing as an ugly person that does not exist in the artist's hands. He expresses his beauty in so many different ways. I think the gratitude, thank you, oh, thank you, God, for what I have, is part of the way out. Another benefit is the loss of fear I discovered. Maybe you're familiar with that verse in Philippians that often gets crocheted into pillows and it hangs in so many pastors' offices, and it's a good verse. Be anxious for nothing, but by praying a petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be known. The way I might say that in, for me would be, don't worry about what you don't have yet, but by asking God, while thanking Him for all the things you do have, tell Him what scares you. Tell Him what scares you. The peace of God, which you cannot understand, can comfort you. I, I, I think that peace 
is the absence of fear. Fear that I won't be enough and I won't have enough. There's a, another benefit that comes with this idea of gratitude as a way of living, and that is the comfort of knowing the want of God, I call it. I, I changed the word there. We're more familiar with the, the phrase, the will of God. And I, I, I know that in much of my life, I've, I've used, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that language. It, it shows up in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it shows up in the verse we're talking about. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. But I, by law, I, I'll, I'll admit that it, I, I don't ever really use that kind of language in any other context. Like I don't go around to my children, and the will of your father is... I've never heard it except in the Bible. And so I, I'm going, yeah, so I, sometimes I think it just goes over my head. And I've been thinking, what is this will of God and that I can know when I live in a grateful life, grateful way. I thought about my kids. I thought, what do I want for my children? What do I long? What, what as a father, do I deeply, deeply desire for them to know that's my will for them. So maybe it would be helpful to you like it is helpful to me to say this. What does God want for me? Because he wants me to be free. He wants to rescue me from the tyranny of my ego, which will, I'll never be enough. He wants me to be grateful. Not because he needs, he needs a thank you note. God is not waiting in heaven to give you the next gift if you only thank him for the last gift, which is sort of a pattern in my family. If you don't write the thank you note, you don't get the next gift. That's not God. Oh God, thank you that you want me to be free. I want to share a couple of what feels to me like Somewhat interesting examples of gratitude in the scriptures. Now, before I do that, I want us to pause just one moment. And as I'm trying to make this case, quite frankly, it's, it's sort of for me. But for all of us, I just want us to consider for a moment, what's the downside of gratitude? What's the worst that could happen? I mean, you lose control. You acknowledge that you're weak. and There are things you cannot do on your own and for you. But the benefits. In, the, in, the, in these examples, I, I'll just tell you the story. It's familiar maybe to you. It's, it's really coming on the end of one of the more tragic stories in the biography of Jesus. It's when he loses his friend, John the Baptist, to a beheading. In the most, oh, just the, what seems like the most horrible deal some human has made. And it costs John the Baptist in, in this ego play of someone else. 
cost him his life. And, and so you, I get the idea, and I think the scriptures talk about that Jesus wanted to be alone. He wanted, to, he wanted the comfort of the Father, but his, he'd become somewhat popular at this moment. And, um, and it says that a crowd was gathering to hear him, and, and so he began to teach. And 5,000 men, it says, gathered to hear him teach. And it's not a good thing, but they only counted men in that day. So there were women and children also, I'm assuming, there. So a lot of people. And, and it, it, it's getting near the end of the day, and the disciples, they get nervous. And so they say to him, hey, Lord, it's getting late, and we don't, we don't have food, so we need to send these people home. Now, I'll admit, in, in, in my perspective, looking back, I'm going, well, that's awfully codependent of you. Why are you worrying about, I mean, they're adults. If they want to go home and eat, they can go home and eat. If they want to stay and be a little hungry, what do you care? I mean, it's not your responsibility. It's interesting. When I went to, and I thought, I, I guess I thought I knew what hospitality was, but I didn't until I went to Israel. And one of the, I think for me, maybe the most, one of the best parts of going to the Middle East was beginning to understand the depth of hospitality in that culture, both in, as both in Israel, the West Bank, and Jordan. And it was, so it's not just a sort of a Christian or a Judaic value, but also in, in, the, in the Muslim world. This idea that I will be hospitable at any cost, and I feel, I feel the, the, the responsibility for your care when, when you have come to whatever I consider to be my house. And, and I, so I, 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 I had underestimated the anxiety and the pressure the disciples were feeling about knowing all these people were hungry. There is a great deficit. Okay, so as the story goes, you know how the story goes. What does Jesus say to them? Don't worry. I mean, God, God I suppose, often is saying, don't worry. I got this. What do you mean you've got this? Well, look what we have. Don't look at what we don't have. Look at what we have. What do we have? We've got two sardines and five loaves of Wonder Bread. This is the part that's so amazing to me. And so Jesus, it says, taking the two sardines and the five loaves of bread, what does he do? He gives thanks. Let that sit with you for a second. Jesus says, thank you. Now, I will admit, fully admit, I bet every time I've ever read that passage, it has felt exactly like in my family in the South, that I've had these two families, I had this Southern family, and any time we had that Sunday dinner, my grandfather, who I did not know particularly to be a, a, a spiritual man, would always begin that, that feast with, let us return thanks. And it was just the thing we did before we got to eat. It was just, you know, I don't know. Some ritual we went through. I admit, I've sort of always read that, ah, this is kind of what you do, give thanks, then you get to eat. And man, this week I've been thinking, Jesus exemplified a life of gratitude. 
thank you. Not for what is missing, but for what is. For what is. Oh man, I will confess, I have spent so much energy on this side. And in the most simplistic way I can say it, you cannot face all of what you do not have and appreciate all that you do have. I said I wanted to share two examples. And the other, again, is a very familiar part of our experience of coming together to worship. And again, I think I've, I've missed something in, in that moment. I'm going to invite you in a moment. I'm not going to try to... to um, list all of why we are grateful in this moment. I simply want to rehearse or relive that moment. I want to feel it and experience it in a new way. It says, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. Jesus said, thank you. Thank you. I am grateful for this body that will be broken. I am grateful that it will be broken for you. And in the same way, it says he took the cup. And he said, thank you. Thank you for this blood that will be shed. That will be a new way for you. Thank you. I am grateful. And then the brown cup will be wine. And then the white cups will be juice. And so I invite you to come today and taste with gratitude. From the head to the heart, take me on a journey. I read our benediction, I wanted to share a little experience I've had over the last couple years, which is I've often had to say to myself, gosh, I, 
Nobody asks me to speak anymore, and I don't get to teach as often as I used to. And then driving here today, I thought, you know, once a month, my friends at the sanctuary have asked me to come. And I want to say thank you. Praise the Lord, my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and don't forget all of his benefit. Amen.